I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Testing, are we there? I believe we are. Okay. Uh, hey everyone and welcome to a, another Q&A episode. Um, this one's, I guess we're going to say it's more related to season two, but just in general um, questions about the podcast. First off, thanks so much for listening to the podcast to start with and for those that have been here since the very beginning, um, it's been a while now, uh, what are we talking, probably almost 18 months and um, yeah, thanks for that ongoing support and I think it's been fun to see the podcast grow and that's thanks to all of you fantastic listeners. Um, so yeah, today the format is basically going to be me sort of candidly like this going through questions and just sort of answering them off the top of my head. Um, I'm not editing this up, it's not going to sound too fancy or anything. Um, I've been encouraging people to send voice messages in with their questions and where they're from um, because obviously that adds you know, a certain, uh, it just makes it a bit better. And um, you're all quite shy, but some people have started sending some through and that's great. So I'll, I'll always give, um, I'll always include those voice messages first before text messages, but still I've got a fair list here that I'm going to try and get through. Um, yeah, so I don't know how long this will take, but let's just crack into it. And uh, the first thing, uh, just a couple random things that I just want to mention. Um, just grabbed a coffee here. Just got one of those new um, newfangled uh, coffee machines, you know, with the grinder and everything. So I'm a big fan of coffee. I've just made one. Oh, that's really good. Um, we're just sort of at that process now. We're trying different beans and things. Um, hopefully we don't become those pretentious coffee people. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, a couple quick things. These are just random. Sometimes I see comments and reviews and things like that. And, um, I try to like 99% of them are all awesome. And I mean, you know, there's always going to be some people that are a little bit critical and, and that's fine. Um, but one comment I saw the other day, which I just thought I would address in this is someone said something along the lines of, um, oh, you know, it's a shame that, you made the second season a subscriber thing, um, subscriber podcast. I mean, making it a subscriber podcast is normally the death of a podcast. And surely you can make do with, you know, the coffee donations you get to keep it alive. <laughs> and I sort of had to chuckle because I thought, well, this person really doesn't understand. And I just want to make clear quickly 
how crucial the subscribers have become. If it wasn't for the subscribers, the hundreds of subscribers, the second second season and the about to be third season wouldn't be about to happen. Uh, I do make some money through advertising for sure, but it needs to be a combination of both. Going forward, the podcast will always be free at some point, but to reward the subscribers, it will always be released to them earlier. Uh, And just to give you an idea, in the entire time, and I'm not complaining at all, it doesn't bother me, but in the entire time the podcast has existed, I mean, probably donations for coffees, if we call them that, maybe about $200 worth, and that's totally cool. It doesn't bother me at all, but you know, it is really the subscribers that that make this podcast work. Um, so just, you know, just sort of, it's, it's kind of a necessary thing. Um, and of course I would encourage anyone to become a subscriber. Um, I think the price is about twenty nine ninety nine for a whole year, ad free, uh, bonus episodes and some of them really good bonus content, extended interviews and all kinds of stuff. Be, but you know, the main thing consider is you'd be supporting the podcast, but anyway, just wanted to quickly chat about that. <laughs> and the next thing is something a couple people have mentioned, um, which is quite funny. Uh, I saw a review and said, um, which basically said, podcast is is good, but I don't know about this. What's with the dodgy fake accent? Um, sort of hard to listen to. And someone else mentioned the other day, um, awesome podcast, even though you've got this dodgy 80% Kiwi, 20% American ac- Yeah. Anyway, um, there is a reason behind why I do sometimes roll my R's and stuff a bit. I am actually Canadian, um, was born in Canada. You know, I moved to New Zealand when I was young, but my mother's Canadian and I actually went back to Canada for a couple of years when I was a teenager. And I guess there's just sort of being that little bit that's sort of hung on. Um, sometimes I notice it and it is, <laughs> it's not fake. I'm not doing it on purpose, but yeah, sometimes it happens. Um, that's just my quirk, I guess. Uh, another thing. Okay. This is something a bit different season three that we're moving into now. Um, I'm looking for a sponsor for guilt, um, or potentially a couple sponsors. So to become a sponsor, I mean, I'm reaching out to you guys. I know there'll be business owners and people out there that may, you know, want to, possibly get some extra advertising or perhaps just want to support the podcast and what it's doing. Um, so in each episode at the beginning, you know, you might hear ads, but this is also a spot where a sponsor's uh, ad might be. And a sponsored ad is, is much more involved where I'm involved with the actual ad itself and so on. Um, but really, yeah, it's just a way to support the podcast. And I just thought I'd add in here, if there's anyone out there that's interested in maybe having a chat to uh, our team at ACAST about becoming a sponsor for Guilt uh, for the upcoming season three, which you expect to start dropping episodes in the next sort of month and a half. Um, please contact us. Uh, you can do that at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com. Right. Okay. So let's get into um, the first questions here. Um, now, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to sort of play these on my phone. So you just have to give me a second while I quickly pull these up. Okay. Now, hopefully this works. And here's the first one from Hi Elizabeth. Ryan, this is Elizabeth from Oamaru in New Zealand. My question is that um, I got the sense that during your interviews with Tracy that she was holding something back. Um, quite understandable that she wouldn't want to disclose everything about their relationship. But did you get that sense also? And if so, do you think that information was material to the case? Thanks. 
Hey, Elizabeth. Yeah, thank you very much for that question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you probably all could tell listening to the podcast that I certainly sort of had that feeling. Um, and yeah, I mean, if I was being honest, yeah, definitely. I felt like I was probably being at times given um, a story that maybe was, like I said before, sort of through rose-tinted glasses or how do I put this? I mean, in a situation like this where it's been obviously a long period of time and, and I think, you know, I think Tracy and probably their family, the thought that Jim may have, you know, run away or possibly taken his own life those are, you know, difficult things to swallow. And naturally, even though it sounds completely counterintuitive that you might say that the better option is someone's been murdered, but I think in a way as a personal, personally, that might be actually something that, you know, psychologically is a bit easier to accept. And I think because of this, you know, over time, sometimes I felt like you, Tracy would gloss over certain things or, might sort of tweak what had actually happened to try and sort of maybe guide me in a direction that wasn't necessarily where she wanted me to go. Um, I don't necessarily mean, you know, this wasn't, she wasn't super active in this, but I could, I definitely could get that sense. Um, You know, and I think this is something that's just really come over a long period of time. And, and um, you know, she obviously wants an answer after all this time, but I suppose she kind of had in her mind, she has the answer that she wants. And yeah, she, you know, was it material um, that she may have held some things back? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say, yeah, it, it probably was. If, if we're talking here about the option of Jim taking his own life or potentially running away, then of course it's material. And I think I sort of made that quite clear in the final episode. Um, you know, where I was just, you know, there's some things that I said, you know, that I didn't necessarily feel good about saying, but I felt it was important to say, because if things haven't been great at home, you know, then obviously that's going to be material if it comes to a person that may have, you know, taken off or taken their own life, possibly. Um, but, you know, I, I think in the big scheme of things, I, you know, I don't think she sort of held things back in any kind of malicious way or anything I think it's just it was just sort of you know just just a little bit was kept back but yeah I think it probably was material and um but I think I sort of made it clear enough in in the podcast how I felt about that but um but yeah good question though and it's you know I always love you guys are very um intuitive in terms of picking up picking up things through the podcast okay so let's get the next question here Hey Ryan, it's Rachel from Brisbane. Given your theory that you've ended up on was that Jim most likely started a new life somewhere else and that you alluded to thinking that maybe his wife wasn't being completely truthful during her interviews, do you think that maybe she knew or might have that inkling herself? Obviously she didn't share that with you, but yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it because that's what I was thinking. Chat soon, thanks. Thanks, Rachel. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, first off, yeah, I guess the thing is, like I said, it was just my theory of, you know, I'll say I, and you know, a lot of people have asked me this privately, and I mean, about, I really am sort of on the fence of, you know, the start, the new life, or did he take his own life? I mean, that's where I'm, I believe the answer is one of those two. Um, so, and deciding which one of those that I went for as my top option, it really just came down to the the fact that there's no body that's ever been found in. And like I said, I mean, that doesn't mean that he didn't take his own life, but it certainly makes it far less likely. Uh, and then, you know, the driver's license being missing and, you know, a few other things. Um, but yeah, so if we were talking about that theory, did Tracy, you know, I mean, I'll go back to what I said earlier that um, it wasn't for a few years before Tracy actually started to think that there may have been any foul play. Up until that point, I think she believed that Jim had run away. But my understanding is that what caused this change was that Tracy eventually spoke to a psychic or a medium, whatever you want to call them. And hey, look, I know some people believe in that kind of thing. I'm not someone who does. But, you know, I think for some people it can be something that can be helpful to them in terms of maybe getting some kind of closure but i think also it can be a really it can really send people down a com- the completely wrong path but anyway tracy did tell me that she felt better herself when she was told by a psychic more or less that jim had died and you know basically more or less that someone had killed him and i mean i'm not quite sure how that makes you feel better but I suppose the idea that he hadn't run away so I suppose up until that point um I think you know that must have been a realistic thought that he had run away and let me add here too I mean it's quite obvious that that we're not getting the 100% truth about everything that probably went on at that time and like I said there's more that I know that I'm not going to share because I've shared enough um but, you know, like we all know, like when you're, you know, with your partner, or whatever, things get heated. You know, you say things at times you don't necessarily mean, but you've got to, you get a chance to like make up for it in time. It's just that in this situation, because Jim disappeared, suddenly these things are, you know, they really mean something. Um, you know, like who, I, I, you know, some of the things that have been said are not fantastic uh, during that time. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like we, we don't know what was exactly said and yeah, I don't know. But I think, um, at that time, you know, I think Tracy had thought that he had left. And I mean, like, I think I mentioned, you know, if my partner, if she went missing, suddenly she goes to work and then, you know, goes missing, um, the last thing I would be, it would even cross my mind is that she could have run away that, because I would, that, I, that just wouldn't even cross my mind. So the fact that that was even a possibility that, that was considered by Tracy says a lot in itself. I mean, my initial, my thought if that happened would be someone had done something to her straight away. I would not even cross my mind that she'd run away. Um, but yeah, I think that now I don't think she believes that, but I think she's very much, you know, it's been 18 years now and I think she's very much 
set that that's the only possible option because to accept anything else would be too mentally um, traumatizing almost, I think. And she's, you know, probably created her own reality in a way and, and made facts sort of fit, you know, what I think, you know, what she needs psychologically. And, you know, I, and I want to add here, I feel really bad, like talking in this way about Tracy and stuff, because it's, it's freaking hard for her. And I know since the final episode came out, like it's, it has been hard for her. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, this is about Jim going missing and, you know, getting everything out there, the truth. Um, but yeah, answer the question. I think, no, she doesn't believe that now, but I think for a long time she did. Hi, Ryan. My name's Emma and I'm from Australia. My question is, would it be at all possible to get in contact with the French sailor who came down the river around the time of Jim's disappearance and left the next day. I know that the police have told you that they were in contact with him through what seemed like a brief phone call uh, and it hasn't really been investigated any further. So, yeah, just wondering if that would be entirely possible in the future. Thanks again for your great podcast. Thank you, Emma. Um, and yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, you know, when I first sat down with Rich Morrison and we were talking about The Sailor, uh, I think one of the early episodes in season two, you know, it, it really jumped out, the, the, the French Sailor. And when I spoke to him, what really jumped out to me was that the fact that in terms of investigating this, as far as it went, was, you know, him calling him on the phone, like Emma said there, and a simple call, hey, is Jim on your boat? No, he's not there. Oh, okay then. And I just really felt like that was not in depth enough. Um, and since then, so I've been in touch with Maritime New Zealand to try and, I've sp spent a lot of time trying to find this boat and who it was, I've been in touch with every yacht club in the Auckland region, uh, trying to find people that maybe remembered this French sailor, um, and I haven't been able to find any leads there. Uh, I've been contact. I've talked to Maritime New Zealand, who have put me in touch with customs. Um, but you know, these are sort of slow processes to find um, to find anything, and whether whether I'll actually get anything from customs there, I'm not sure if they're going to actually if there's privacy privacy issues around me being told every boat that came in and out of New Zealand, which is basically what I'm going to need. Uh, I, I don't know. Am I going to find the answer there? I don't know, but I'd love to speak to that French sailor. And if you are listening to this and you uh, from Auckland or from actually New Zealand in that time, so we're talking any time from June onwards, uh, 2004, and you were anywhere in New Zealand and maybe you're involved in boats and you met a French yachtsman that was traveling through. Uh, we'd have to assume that I think he traveled right through New Zealand. So I'd love to, to hear about it. But yeah, I mean, obviously when I heard he was French and that Jim had taught himself French, it, some things kind of lined up there. So um, yeah, the answer is I'm still sort of working on that. And um, yeah, I'd like to know as much as you. All right. Next question. 
Hey Ryan, I'm uh, I'm James. I'm calling from North Queensland today. I really like the podcast. Love listening to it. I've got a couple of questions to do with. Well, I'll just stick with one. What about un- unnamed bodies overseas? Like, has anyone ever cross-checked the DNA and seen seen if that that you know comes up on? You know, I know we got heaps of unnamed bodies in Australia, so uh, I don't know. Just thought might be interesting. Cheers. Yeah, hey, James, yep, that is actually another great question and one that, I'll be honest, I hadn't really, it hadn't crossed my mind until very recently. Uh, I was actually doing an interview with Australian True Crime recently and um, when I was speaking to Michelle, one of the hosts there, we were talking about DNA and she actually said that she has contacts um, with the people over there that, that deal with these registers. So basically there are registers in Australia that uh, for unclaimed or unnamed bodies that, that are found. And I'm pretty sure she said there's something in the range of, of 700 plus. And uh, that nowadays, you know, you can put DNA into the database and see if it matches any of these. Um, of course, that would be assuming somehow Jim had made his way to Australia and that somehow he'd perished or... But, you know, I mean, I guess we have to look at all the options. Uh, So as far as that goes, I am planning on seeing if I can get um, one of the members of the family. I don't know who, but see if we could maybe get a DNA sample to do this. And I mean, at the end of the day, why not? You know, it's just another thing that you can cross off. So, uh, yes, James, that is something definitely looking into and a good question. Okay, now... <clears throat> right, who have we got here? Hi Ryan, it's Renee, I'm from Wongamata. I just want to know, where do you see your podcast going in the next year? Will you put out a like a live video with your recordings? Hey Renee from Wongamata, which is a fantastic beach in New Zealand. If you don't know it, definitely worth checking out. Great surf beach. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, the podcast going in the next year. I mean, the last year has been pretty crazy. It's grown so much since I think probably September is about when it sort of exploded. I mean, I remember, you know, at the beginning when I started, it was just, you know, I didn't have any specific promotion or anything. And God, I remember when it was like, wow, 20 downloads in a day. And then it sort of in September, everything sort of took off with season two you know, thousands and thousands of downloads every day. And it's just sort of grown from there, which has just been crazy to see and like, and not where I ever expected it was going to be. But, you know, because of that, now it's made me see what is possible. Um, And so, you know, I do have big plans for the podcast and in the next year, really at this point, you know, I do want to expand and, you know, get a bit more of a foothold into other countries and, you know, already doing that really well. And thank you to all the Aussie listeners. Um, If you haven't, seen my Instagram. Um, if you do like random things about the podcast and you know, I do put stuff on my Instagram, I'm pretty crap with social media. So I just have the one thing that I use, but, um, Ryan Wolf NZ is my Instagram if you're interested in the odd story and stuff. But I put something up the other day saying that my listeners are 45% Australian, 25% New Zealand. Uh, I think it's 12% UK, 9% US and then Ireland and Canada, not far after that. And then a bunch of other countries, but already quite a good range 
Um, but, you know, I'd love to get more into the US and um, I just love getting listeners from all over the place. So really pushing that side of things. Um, and of course, just keep making more content. I mean, season three, working on that right now and it's going to be, it's going to be insane. Um, y- you know, it's, it's a, it's a really sad case, um, but also one with just a lot of angles that's going to absolutely blow your mind. Um, yeah, so that and then. And then I also have a couple other podcasts as well that are in the background that I'm working on more documentary sort of things. Um, you know, so I want to sort of do those and what else, if I'm planning on making the podcast into a video version at some point, I assume you mean sort of like a Joe Rogan type thing, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it is something that I've thought about the type of podcast I do. It's quite hard because, um, I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily sit down and just interview one person, but I definitely think there's a way to do it somehow. Perhaps shortened versions of of each episode or in video um, or specific parts of interviews. And I've thought about that, maybe uploading those to YouTube. Uh, you know, I think in the, the last season I actually did record on video Tracy's interview, uh, Stephen's interview at the beginning, and I sort of just have those sitting somewhere. Uh, but I think, yeah, maybe season three I might do a lot more of that and potentially edit something up. So, yeah, it's certainly an option. Okay, next question. Alrighty. Hi, Ryan, it's Sky. I'm from northern New South Wales um, in Oz. I am super keen to know the repercussions if Jim were hypothetically to be alive um, and was to make himself known to authorities. Um, yeah, what would the repercussions be? I know you shared um, a similar story um, in your Insta stories a few weeks back, maybe, um, about people who've returned after going missing. Um, yeah, just keen to know what he would face, um, apart from judgment, obviously. Um, what, yeah, what he'd face if he was to make himself known and, and you know, tell his story, I guess. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Sky, thank you. And that's another good question. You guys are asking great questions. Um, Yeah, so this is an interesting one. And there's not going to be, from a legal point of view, there's not going to be a definitive answer to this. Um, But yeah, so like I said in the podcast, which is important to know is that it's not illegal to disappear. You know, it's your life. And if you want to for whatever reason, just leave your life behind and go start some other life, then you can do that, you know, that, and you can imagine situations where that should be allowed. I mean, imagine you're in a relationship and you're suffering some form of domestic abuse or something and you need to run away and no one can know where you, you went. And I mean, of course that shouldn't be illegal, but as I mentioned in the podcast, it becomes an issue obviously when we start getting into sort of some fraudulent elements, um, and, you know, so obviously talking about insurance and stuff here, but uh, the best thing we can do is to look at existing cases of where this has happened. Uh, and the most, I mean, the one that sort of fits the bill the tidiest is the case of Bruce Dale, which I think I mentioned in the podcast. He was the guy in New Zealand who disappeared actually a similar time to Jim in 2002. So just a couple of years before. And he, he'd sort of faked his death by 
leaving his car parked at a beach and he'd scattered a few cans, you know, like uh, um, beer cans on the ground sort of to make it look like he'd been drinking. And at home, he sort of left his insurance policy or something on, on the desk and then he sort of disappeared. And it was assumed that he'd committed suicide by entering the water and, and not coming back. But in reality, what he had done is he had hidden a bike in the back of his car and then he'd ridden away from that beach that day. And then he just went south down New Zealand, took the name of a baby that he saw on a gravestone, Michael Peach, who had died 48 years earlier. And he went to Christchurch, which if you're not familiar with New Zealand, that's at the other end of New Zealand on uh, in the South Island. And he just started a new life. And for six years, he just went unnoticed. He was in relationships, apparently bought houses, started a business. And it was he was only found when he applied for a passport under his real name. I guess naively, he didn't think that he'd been declared dead, which he had. And his wife had... Uh, had claimed the insurance policy and because he'd been declared dead, obviously his passport, when he tried to uh, apply for a new one, that, that obviously rang alarm bells. So he was obviously caught and ultimately he was sentenced to a term of two years and four months for that. Um, so, you know, that was six years you know, there's some things, I guess so, in this situation, I mean, he's faked his own death by suicide, uh, and I think that's also that's also a key here. Faking your own death is something that you're not allowed to do. So I suppose in Jim's case, we need to think, um, you know, let's say Jim did run away and that theory were correct. So did he do enough in what we know to say that he faked his own death? is that we would have to assume that if you were looking at that objectively, you'd say, well, obviously he's done those things to try and be evasive. Uh, so I think we could probably tick that box that he, he's done that. And the other thing, there's another case in New Zealand at the moment. Uh, I forget the guy's name. Actually, maybe it's Tom Phillips. And he's run off with his his children and they've disappeared. And um, no one knows where they are. They think he's gone bush or something like that. But... There's also another charge that you can have, which is basically wasting police time and resources. So if a lot of money is spent looking uh, on a search by police and, you know, rescue and so on, at some point when it gets to a certain level, you know, now you're you're, you're just costing people money for, for no reason and, and they will charge you for that. And I think Tom's actually got an arrest warrant out for that exact thing now. Uh, so that'd be another thing you'd be piling on top of that. And then the insurance would be obviously the fraudulent element you'd put on top of that. So in terms of, like I said, it's hard to give an exact answer here. But if I was just ballparking off the top of my head, I'd be thinking that if Jim showed up right now, I'd have to imagine that he'd be sentenced to somewhere between, you know, two to four years. But I don't exactly know. Uh, what might happen and there could be mitigating circumstances maybe if there was some kind of mental illness there or you know a reason he can provide why he had to run away or why he couldn't come forward then all of these things would you know potentially help his case so but I don't know it's just pure speculation but let's just say a few years so um, he certainly wouldn't be walking away scot-free that's for sure Um, you know which could be a reason why you wouldn't come back 
you know, it's not like you just get an amnesty. Uh, but yeah, great, great question. Okay, next one. Uh, right, where are we here? Okay. And Justine from Auckland here. I love your podcast, Guilt Series 2, Jim Dolly. My question, Jim's sexuality. Has anyone really delved into that? You mentioned in the last episode that he might have been running away with another woman. What if it was another man? I mean, obviously there was a lot of smoke and mirrors going on. He joined the Freemasons. He was religious. Everything was against potentially some identity issues. That's my question. So, could it be? Okay, that is... um that's another good question, an interesting one. And straight off the bat, I'll tell you that, yeah, this has definitely crossed my mind more than one time. Um, but I suppose in terms of the podcast and even talking about it right now, I sort of, it's quite, you know, I shouldn't say it's salacious because in, you know, modern days, it's not, I mean, it's not an issue at all. But, you know, for me, I had to be careful what you're saying with no basis or no evidence. But it's certainly something that I did think about. Uh, I mean, we know that Jim's brother, who apparently he was very close with, was um, was gay. Uh, and, you know, the one thing to note as well, though, is that Jim's family, they, they were not homophobic or anything at all. They were very accepting of that kind of thing. So it's unlikely that he would be hiding that from his family or that would be a reason that he wouldn't, you know, potentially come out of the closet um, but I mean, again, it, it's impossible to know. Um, I, I do remember when I was actually speaking to Stephen, Stephen and his wife, and she did make a comment at the time that, um, when Jim went first went missing, she asked all the gay community in, on K road in Auckland. And I, I, to be honest, thinking about it now, I didn't actually look more into that, but I did think it was sort of odd that she had even mentioned that. And I'm not sure exactly why maybe she just thought that they might know more about what's going on and I don't know in the underworld or whatever you might call it but hey it's certainly something I mean I'm sure that kind of thing has happened a lot in in time um but there's no when I did speak to uh family about this there's nothing that really would point towards that other than just, you know, thinking it could be possible. Um, I think it's certainly a good idea. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, but it's something that is definitely something to think about. Uh, but in terms of actual, actual evidence for that, I, I don't have anything there. Yeah. Okay, so moving on. So that's the rest of the questions now are going to be text questions. Um, thanks to the people that did send uh, voice messages in. And I'll say that going forward, if you ever have a question, send through a voice message. And as they build up, once I get sort of 10, 20 of them, I'll just release a Q&A. So, you know, the more of them I get sent, the more Q&As I'll do. Just as I get sort of 20 questions, I'll do a Q&A. But I'm less likely to do it when it's text questions because obviously there's, I get so many of those. Um, and I feel like it's more interactive when, you know, you guys are sending in voice messages and it's about building a community, I, I suppose. Uh, anyway, okay, moving on. So Lauren says, love the podcast. Wondering if Jim could have headed for Vanuatu, Numea, Tahiti, all French speaking and easy to hide with transient populations. 
Yeah, so if you're not so familiar with the South Pacific uh, part of the world, um, but I know a lot of you from Australasia, so you would be, but all of these are places that are relatively near New Zealand and pretty popular sailing destinations. And I mean, I'm not going to say I know a huge amount about sailing, but yeah, I understand that yachts commonly on their way down, they come through and they stop in these places for maybe a couple of weeks and then move on. And yeah, they are French speaking. Certainly, I mean, you know, if we were to hypothesize that Jim had somehow left on a yacht, well, then you'd have to assume it was very likely that you would go in that direction. The alternative would be going towards Australia, but I feel that would be far more risky. Uh, I think that if you did go in the direction of sort of Vanuatu, Tahiti, etc., I mean, you know, I've been to Tahiti before once, and I remember thinking in the airport there was no walls or anything. It was very lax. I can't imagine it's um, too difficult to get in there if you're on a yacht. So certainly something to think about. Um, and, and, you know, these are all things that over time, you know, if I get time, I will try and look into different things. Um, and, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's certainly certainly possible, yeah. Okay, the next question here from Michael in Sydney. A lot has been made of the fact that the acid inside the bath that was that Jim's personal items was found in wasn't very strong, so wouldn't dissolve them. But what would it remove other than rust, hair, fingerprints, DNA? Well, I mean, I think we know now, I don't know actually when this was sent, um, but obviously we know that the acid was stronger than what people have said. Um, but it won't dissolve uh, plastics, we know that. But would it remove hair, fingerprints, and DNA? I think... I'm, I'm, I'm not obviously an expert, but I'd be, I think it would definitely be removing fingerprints, DNA, uh, in terms of hair, that hydrochloric acid is, it doesn't really dissolve organics, but I think, you know, individual hairs probably wouldn't stand much of a chance. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of fingerprints and those kind of things, yeah, there'd be, there'd be, um, no chance of that and we'd have to assume you know and I, I hate to assume in this case but we'd have to assume that the police probably did check those basic things but I mean again that would be an assumption and um, I've made those before which have been a mistake. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, next one. Emma from New Zealand. Uh, this was part of a bigger question, but I just took this one piece out because I thought it was interesting and I would just mention it. Emma said, I was wondering if the physically tender comment could be referencing the paddling that Freemasons are rumoured to do. Thank you. Now, this is interesting because I'm guessing that what this is referring to is probably some kind of initiation. And obviously the Freemasons, they were pretty good. You know, they spoke to me and uh, were pretty open about what they spoke to me about. But of course, I'm sure there's things that that I haven't been told. Uh, I don't know of any kind of physical initiations. And one thing these days is the Freemasons are way more open than they once were. And if there were some kind of weird initiations, it, you know, it may be more well known these days, but also something to think about is that even when I spoke to, I think it was Russell from the Freemasons, a lot has changed in the last 20 years. Um, a lot. So something that may have happened then may not be happening now. So I just thought I'd include this to say if there's anyone out there that uh, have family that have been involved in the Freemasons in the past or you are a Freemason and you want to anonymously reach out and say, hey, yeah, there is an initiation that involves something like paddling, then let me know. But the thing I want to add here too is because there's quite a few questions about the Freemasons is that you have to remember that Jim went to the first meeting with Stephen and Stephen's father and Stephen's father was involved. Colin was involved in the Masons. He was a master Mason. Jim collected the, the uh, application form from Colin's house. You know, that was only days before Jim disappeared. It's simply not possible that Jim could have gone through the process of and and we know that the application form was never put in because it was, it, um, it, it just, it did never actually, he never went any further than that. But even if he had, it would not be possible to get from that stage of filling out an application form to being a member in the space of a few days. That's just not, that's just not the way this thing works. It, I mean, it's, yeah. The thing is with Freemasons, though, I did find there are different uh, denominations and they don't necessarily speak to each other um, like we might think. So, you know, you imagine in the States, United States, how you hear about how police don't talk to each other from different states. It's a little bit like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, when I spoke to Russell, you know, he said that Jim wasn't a part of that denomination and... I'm pretty confident from the other research I did that he isn't part of any other one. Uh, but again, it's, I, I really just come back to that same, to that fact that he couldn't have gone through the process of the application in three, four days. It's just, I mean, he got the application top of my head. I'm going to say, I think it was Wednesday. 
Uh, and then it was the Saturday that he says he's going to the meeting. Uh, that's just not that's just not going to happen. Um, and if he did go to a meeting that day, a meeting would take longer than an hour, which is the only time we know he had available. So it just just really it just doesn't make sense there. It just doesn't add up. But I'll admit, you know, it's still it, it's weird. But it, is it all just a smokescreen? I you'd. I sort of feel like it may be, but it may not be. I'm not sure. But yeah, interesting. If you know about paddling or any kind of initiation and you have first-hand knowledge, not sort of rumors, but you really know about it, get in touch. Okay, the next question from Victoria in New Zealand. This is actually a season one question. You're going to challenge my memory here. Why didn't Linda's cousin Barry call the police? And why didn't Sierra call the police when she heard arguing? Yep. Okay. So I think I addressed this at the time, but maybe I didn't make it very clear, but, um, in these small towns in New Zealand like this, um, and probably in a lot of places in the world, you know, a lot of these people aren't necessarily, um, white picket fence, living a perfect life type people. It doesn't mean they're murderers, but it also doesn't mean they really want to be involved in, you know, things like this that might be going on. Um, the reasons Barry didn't call the police, I don't know. It's possible that when he backed out, he saw a body there and didn't realize that it was a dead body. I mean, it's possible. Um, it's also just possible that he, I mean, you heard he sounds like an asshole. And I've heard that he sort of is. And he, he may have just not wanted to be involved or like I said, if you'll remember in that episode when I spoke to Linda, I still have my thoughts that perhaps they may have had an idea of what happened, not that they were necessarily involved in it, but if they knew who was, that they didn't want to say anything because they're worried that it might have come back on them. And I'll add that these are the people, when I say them, extremely unsavory, dangerous characters that you don't want coming after you. And there's a new episode actually, which is coming out to uh, in a week, if you're listening to this, um, which is an updated episode for season one, which I think could explain a lot about my theory and everything. And um, But yeah, why didn't Barry call the police? We, uh, we don't know. Uh, you just, you know, you imagine you're Barry, you're an unsavory sort of character and, you probably just don't want to be involved in it, but I don't have the exact answer to that. And why didn't Sierra call the police when she heard arguing? Man, like, you hear arguing all the time in these small New Zealand towns. Like, you really do. And especially a place like Paido, like, people are fighting and arguing all the time. There's all kinds of shit going down. You know, if you called the police and said, I heard arguing, they probably just wouldn't care or wouldn't come. I mean, God, I, I mean, I've seen before, like, gang fights happen in the streets in towns and small towns in front of my house before, you know, and, and nothing happened. Eventually the cops showed up, but you know, no one was calling the police. I think the cops just rolled up eventually, but you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Um, you know, if you heard a gunshot, yeah, sure. But arguing is probably not a reason to do that. Okay. Next question. Uh, from Shaz, I'm a trauma nurse and I wondered if it could be possible that a head injury as a result of the crash could be the cause of Jim's decline. 
Head injuries can progress and manifest in many different ways. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I always thought was a possibility. And it was why I really wanted to know more about that car crash. Because effectively, the only people that know what happened there were Jim and the person that he crashed into. And I, I mean, well, and this is the thing, I don't know. Was there a police report that day? Did the police show up? You'd have to assume so. But as you'll know, I don't have any details of what happened other than the little bit that Tracy's given me. And I, you know, that's what I wanted to know. I mean, I'd be wanting to know everything about that crash. Could Jim have smacked his head? Possibly. Certainly possible. You know, I'll add that Dr. Ian Goodwin, you know, from what he sort of said, he he didn't see the way Jim was acting as probably being something that could be related to something like this. Um, he just saw someone that was more under stress as opposed to, you know, perhaps acting in a way that where there is some kind of a neurological injury, uh, you know, a tumor or a head injury or something like this. So while it's certainly possible, um, you know, it, according to Dr. Goodwin, um, it doesn't line up, but hey, it, it's certainly possible. I mean, at the end of the day, it was an, obviously a decent enough crash that that the car was written off. So anything's possible there. Okay, next question. Shelley, I would like to know your thoughts about the missing time and the suit. Thanks, Shelley. Uh, so here she's referring to um, in season two when Jim on the Saturday, he goes to the apparent meeting and hires the suit. And... Um, Actually, I'll go on. I can see here there's two questions here, so we'll join these together. The next question is from Jen and says, was the suit returned to wherever it was hired from and who returned it? So I'll answer these both at once. So my thoughts about the missing time in the suit. Um, my personal thought is I don't believe it had anything to do with the Freemasons at all. It just nothing lines up there. Uh, even if, let's say, even if it was a meeting, one hour time which is the maximum amount of time he could have had available is just not enough time for a meeting or anything like that so it it just doesn't line up um you would only be wearing a suit to a freemason thing if you were further down the track it's just i checked and apparently the meetings are at least two to three hours long normally it, it just doesn't fit um so in terms of the missing time in the suit i mean to be honest my guess is as good as yours I don't really know. I mean, I think the answer to all of this lies right there. Either, actually, I'll add something here. So when he picked the suit up, I don't know if I really covered this, but um, Dave Glossop mentioned it to me, Detective Dave Glossop, that apparently when he picked up the suit, he was sort of in such a rush that he, according to Dave, said he almost left his his clothes behind. So, so in my mind, I sort of thought, what, so he got changed into the suit at the actual place, which would be quite odd. But at the same time, as we've found so many things that I've been told that, you know, Dave told me has turned out to be not accurate. So I don't, I don't really know what to make of that. Um, but so into the next question, was the suit returned to wherever it was hired from and who returned it? So, when um, Jim disappeared and the police were involved early on, one of the first things they did is they the suit was at the house, 
This is my understanding of it. The suit was at the house and the police went through it and found a receipt in one of the pockets. And that receipt was actually for the Chinese takeaways that, that Jim had bought. And that was what placed him in that location at 727 on, I think it was 727, was it? 727 on the Saturday. Um, and my understanding, I did ask Tracy this, who dropped the suit back and she said it was kind of all a bit of a blur, but she's pretty sure that the police returned the suit. Um, so yeah, it's not that he didn't take it with him or anything like that. It just went back to where it came from. I have looked up to try and find the actual place that he hired it from. I don't think that place exists anymore. Um, but yeah, just wrapping that question up, the missing time in the suit, I really, yeah, your guess is as good as mine, but I feel like he may have gone past the spot you know he picks up the Chinese at that spot and across the road is Stephen's work it made me feel like there's something down that down Dominion Road past there that he's been going to and both days he's just stopped in that place on the way back past you know the first day he stops and gets the food on the way back through and the second day I feel that because he hadn't seen Stephen earlier in the day I just think that he was going back past there and he just thought, you know what, you know, screw it. I'll just go here and see if Stephen might be here. Who knows if he was about to run away or potentially take his own life. I mean, this is your best friend from your entire life. You'd use any chance, however unlikely it might be to see them that one last time, even though it was a weekend when Stephen wouldn't normally be working. So yeah, I don't know. There's such a mystery with all of that part of it. There really, really is. Next question here from Sarah Ann. How sure is Tracy that Jim actually said avert a waste and a crisis and that she didn't mishear him? It's only that it sounds a lot like the quote often attributed to Winston Churchill that goes never waste a good crisis or sometimes just never waste a crisis. It essentially means that drastic change often needs to happen in order for a person to gain new insights, discover opportunities for personal growth and achieve things that previously just seemed too difficult or daunting. Yeah, this was a new one for me um, when I saw this. And it is interesting. It is interesting. I guess, you know, this is something that I've, that's actually quite interesting with this case, and but something that I think about a lot. And it's how, you know, you, you realize, and if you've watched true crime or documentaries and these types of things, how one word can end up being so important one word that someone says and if it's if it's slightly different then that changes the whole context of what they're talking about so and we know how easy it is for someone to to mishear or misremember something and I do always think you know if if Tracy had just remembered it slightly differently then it could have a completely different meaning but one thing with this case that's, that is kind of unique is that because they were looking for Jim so early on, you know, they were getting statements from Tracy, I think this that day that Jim went missing, or at least by the next day. So this is what she told police at that time, when it was the freshest in her memory. And she said, avert a waste in a crisis. Uh, and, and you have to remember as well, at the very beginning, Tracy actually thought Jim had run away. She didn't think there was any foul play involved. And it wasn't actually till I think a few years later that the sort of foul play 
theory started to really take roots in her mind. Um, you know, so my point in saying that is that she didn't have any reason at this point to try and bend the truth because she actually just thought Jim had really just run away and that he'd probably come back. And, you know, that press conference that, that I mentioned in the final episode, you know, she, um, she says this to Jim, you know, on TV, Hey, we miss you. Uh, we want you home. And, um, yeah, so I, I think it's certainly possible that she may have heard it wrong, but it's also quite possible she heard it, that this is accurate. I mean, the Winston Churchill thing is certainly interesting. Never waste a good crisis. I haven't, I haven't heard it before. Um, but I mean, it is, it is very similar. It is very similar. I mean, it's probably just one of these things that we'll, we'll never know. Um, you know, I think Jim was, he was pretty well read and pretty smart. So it's certainly possible. Certainly possible. Good question. Next one, Stony. I may have missed it, but did you touch on the car that came into the car park and then left? Yeah, actually just thinking about that, I actually didn't address this in the final episode. Obviously we did talk about it with Dave Glossop. Uh, we'll quickly chat about it now. So it was, it was sort of one of those erroneous things that you just, it's just that you just don't know. Um, one thing with that area, there is a car park that's, um, if you go out to NZ Steel, this, you've got the entry there and there's this car park that's just sort of up. And this is, it's, it's really kind of a like sort of dodgy, that's a New Zealand word. It's kind of like a, um, it's the kind of place people go to, you know, like make out, smoke weed, you know, probably deal drugs. I don't know. It's a place you go out in the rural area where no one's going to see you and you can just sort of chill out and do whatever you want. And so Dave sort of said, look, it's not, can you imagine if you're some dudes, you want to go out and get stoned or something, let's go to our normal spot. And when you pull in there, you're like, holy shit, there's police everywhere. What are you going to do? Are you going to keep driving up and do your normal thing? Probably not. You're probably going to back and get the hell out of there. So is it possible that it could somehow be connected to Jim's disappearance? Of course, we don't know that. And it certainly is odd. But is it more logical maybe that it was just that exact thing, someone going up to the car park like people always did to do something, you know, that they shouldn't have been doing. And when they saw the police cars, they took off. And I mean, that sounds like pretty logical to me. But again, it's just another one of those things in this case that just, you know, that just, it just adds to the mystery of it, really. Um, yeah. I mean, I always think too, if it was someone... You'd have to have known at this point that the people are going to be looking for Jim at this time. It's night, the day he's gone missing. I can't imagine you would think that you could just drive on into the car park and everything would be fine. But I mean, hey, who knows? Next question. Ash says, I still find the hat thing off. Why would he go back to place it there later? Just doesn't make sense. And then goes on to say... If he wanted to take the train, why not just wait somewhere comfortable, then head to the mill discreetly in the evening rather than rolling around in cow shit for hours? The mentions of hide and seek are eerie. Okay. So the first thing, I still find the hat thing off. Why would you go back there to place it there later? Yeah, so like I said in the podcast, the hat is, you know, there's two courts you can be in here. You're in the either he put the hat there that morning and it was just overlooked in the search 
or it was put there later. I'll be honest and say that I've always leaned towards the most logical explanation, and that is that the hat was there the whole time. Because it is up on a floor, up above, on a second level. It was sitting upside down underneath the ringer roll. And and uh, I'm just thinking, when I was talking to Mark Olson, who was the, the team leader, sort of supervisor, like he said, if you when you're walking past that area, there's nothing down there. So if you're looking for a person, you you know, you look down, you know, like down the alley, you can see there's nothing down there. And yeah, and when I say it's up on a floor above, you know those kind of um it's a walkway that you can actually sort of see through. So you can see that you don't need to go up there to see that there's nothing there. You can see that from the bottom. So why would you go down there to look for something that you can see is not there? And as a result of that, the helmet was just not seen, you know, and that's what I always thought. But then, and that's what Mark Olson thought as well, the guy that ran that area. But then, you know, the other side of it is that so many of these mill staff, virtually everyone I've spoken to has said, now nah, it's not possible. The helmet can't have been missed. It's been placed there, you know, so that's obviously something that has to be considered. So then, if it was placed there, then why? Oh, and I'll add actually to the last sighting of Jim that he, when he was seen, which I believe is after he had put his jacket in the acid vat, he still had his helmet on. So he couldn't, in my mind, have put the helmet there at the same time as the jacket. It had to have gone there a little bit later. So if we think about why the helmet could have gone there later, let's say Jim had realized you know in his mind maybe shit what if they don't find the things in the vat maybe i'll put my helmet there to to signpost it and i think when dave glossop i spoke to him that was something that stood out to him as if you were going to hide something in there why would you put a signpost there and put a helmet there to say hey like look in the vat um but you know it's another one of those things we're not you know not too sure about um the, the next thing as well is about why would he take the train and not wait somewhere comfortable, then go back to the mill in the evening, then going out in the cow shit. Well, the point of this is that when he he wanted people to think that he something had happened to him in the mill. So you can't go home, clock out for the day, and then go away and then come back. Well, that wouldn't work because now they know that you're not at the mill. They need to think that you're still in the mill. So that's why you plant the items in the mill, you hide somewhere and you wait for the train so that like no one knows you got on the train, they still think you're in the mill. And I, I, I think that's the thinking, my thinking behind it. Because at the end of the day, the thing we know for sure is that those, his pants were found in that steel plant laundry covered in cow shit. And there is literally no logical explanation as to why this could have happened. There's just not. Um, and, actually, yeah, there's another thing I'll mention. Yeah, so, but yeah, I mean... In my mind, he came back. He came back in, and he'd been out in those fields. I just don't see any other way around it. And while it's not something I feel super comfortable about, i.e., went and put the hat back there. It's just a theory that I just threw out there. Um, you know, when I make my theory at the end, it's not necessarily something that I feel like a hundred percent. This is what happened. I'm just sort of, to the best of my ability, putting something together to give you something to 
see what I think may have possibly happened. It doesn't mean that I think that's definitely what happened, but it's just that this is what could have happened. You know, um, the mentions of hide and seek are eerie. Yeah, they, they certainly, they certainly are. Uh, next question, Heather, actually, I'm just going to write something down here before I forget. Final piece. Okay. Next question, Heather. Hi, I had some questions about the ranch slider break-in. How visible was the? How visible were the other entrances as opposed to the ranch slider door that Jim had keys for, with neighbors, streetlights, possible security cameras, with people being on the lookout for him as a missing person? He might not want to risk walking up to the main doors. Were there any security alarm entries of someone coming in and deactivating the alarm? Could this be a reason why he went for the slider door? Could this have been another of his step ahead red herrings? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Again, you know, this case, there are so many of these odd things. You know, the ranch slider, you could put this down in the same category as the car coming into the car park. Is it something or is it nothing? I mean, if you look at it, though, you know, from the outside, he goes missing, Jim disappears, and then within the next couple days, his house gets broken into. It's, I mean, it's coincidence but it's a hell of a coincidence and like someone mentioned and it's sort of true I mean if you were going to rob the house you would I mean I would think people would come with the tools they needed to do it but this person actually got tools out of the the um, tool shed to to try and get the door open and like Heather said here another thing to think about is well if it were Jim or someone that was associated with Jim perhaps someone helping him it does make sense. Even though he had the key, you think, oh, he'd go through the front door. But, well, we actually, you probably wouldn't, would you? Because someone's probably going to see you. Is it possible that the back door may have been used to avoid maybe security camera? Like, people didn't really have security cameras back then necessarily, especially not private homes, not commonly anyway. But, you know, you're obviously going to be more visible. Um, I don't have I don't have the exact details of the back of the house and those kind of things. Um so I don't know exactly there. Um, God, but you know, like I said to Tracy, if you heard, can you imagine what she must have thought at that time with everything that's going on and you show up at the house and the window's broken and someone's tried to get in? I mean, what's the first thing you're going to be thinking? When you think Jim's run away, you're thinking he's tried to come back in here, that he's forgotten something. And it made, made me think, I mean, is it possible that he could have come in, turned the alarm off, did whatever he wanted to do, and then made it look like a burglary on the way out. I mean, who knows? I mean, at the end of the day, he knows the alarm code. He could have gone in, turned the alarm off, done whatever he wanted, and then on the way out thought, shit, if someone sees me, maybe I'll smash this back window or something to make it look like a, a possible break-in. I don't know. But I sort of think it could. it's just probably nothing. If it was Jim, I mean, how ballsy would that be to try and go back to the house? I mean... It, Seems kind of crazy to me. So I'm putting it down in the, I don't think it's connected, but it could be just another one of those things in this case. But yeah, good questions, Heather. Next question. I've only got a few more here. Karen, he took his driver's license and bank card. Was his bank account ever checked? Was the registry in Australia ever checked for his name? Um, yeah, so... I can answer one of these straight away. As far as I'm aware, his bank account was never touched. Um, 
you know, it's interesting. His ATM card was never found and his driver's license, but that ATM card was never used. So I don't know. Was it just a backup? Um, in terms of his driver's license, um, yeah, so the thing is, like I said, he there would be things out. So he wouldn't be able to travel, I don't believe, without it being noticed, but he could probably use his driver's license in a random place in Australia, say if you wanted to start a bank account or something, and I'm sure that that wouldn't raise any alarms. Um, you know, my theory with this was that, you know, with a driver's license, you can do a lot. You can, you know, if you know what you're doing and you're being sort of clever with a driver's license, you know, you, you can probably open bank accounts and then through that you can do other things and you sort of build your way up. And I mean, it just doesn't make sense. If there was some kind of foul play involved here, why would they? Why would you take his driver's license? I mean, explain to me another reason why you would take the driver's license and an ATM card out of the wallet before you. It just doesn't make much sense to me there. So, yeah, there's no hits in terms of the driver's license and the bank card was definitely never used. And then the next part of this was, oh, this is a Freemasons thing. Was it ever checked to see if he was a member of the Freemasons? Found it weird that they said there was no Donnelly. Could the name have been spelt differently? Um, God, I mean, you know, you could, there's a rabbit hole there you could go down. Um, but I think Donnelly's, there's only really one way to spell that. But again, I'll just go back to say that, you know, unless he had already become a member at another place and then it was another complete smokescreen with Colin, but... He just, it's just not really possible that he could have become a member in that shorter period of time. I just I don't think there's any connection there. Um, and Karen says, listening from Ireland, thank you. Love Ireland. Yeah, Temple Bar got me good one time. Okay, a couple more. Patrick, I know that Jim's potential uh, ASD was discussed. Uh, right, we're talking about autism spectrum stuff here. I think a point that was overlooked was the severe impact of rejection sensitive dysphoria that can happen with autistic people. I'm not an expert by any means, but I've seen lots of evidence that RSD affects people with ASD, autistic spectrum disorder, significantly. The perceived rejection of his wife not wanting to move for his job or support him joining the Freemasons could well have been amplified along with the workplace culture, stress and other factors could well have impacted him far more than a neurotypical person. Thanks, Patrick. And yeah, I 100% agree with this. This is something that I really personally believe that, you know, we don't know if Jim was potentially on the spectrum or not. Uh, it's possible. So many people have said that so many of his traits line up with that. And um, I think the one thing that Tracy said, I remember in my first interview with her, was that Jim was very, he was very worried about what people thought of him and he would take it very personally. And that would sort of line up with um, this rejection sensitive dysphoria. And I think because of that, a lot of the time he was socially, I guess um, he would socially isolate himself, I guess, because, you know, we know you put, you don't want to put yourself out there because you're worried about rejection. And I think if he, you know, if he was on the autism spectrum, like like Patrick said, and he did have this RSD, then I totally agree. I mean, imagine the bullying culture at work and how that might affect him. I mentioned in the final episode that I spoke to a mill member 
who said that yeah, he had a we have been talking a fair bit and he said that um yeah he had a, a, a random argument with Jim and a couple of weeks before he went missing just about you know something to do with work and he said that he was just like oh whoa he he backed off he felt so bad because he just said Jim was so frail um he just could tell that he was not in a good place and he just he could remember that and i just think that this is just at this one time you know just this tidal wave of all these different things just this crash down on Jim and you know and I think yeah this RSD would line up with with the fact that you can't think like how you would think it would be in this situation oh I'd be fine with that because yeah I think he was far more sensitive to it um yeah so definitely I think that definitely makes sense and I'm gonna I thought I'd leave this Till last, and of course, I've been asked this question so many times. The sighting at the end of the final episode. What is that all about? Why did I leave you hanging on this massive cliffhanger? <laughs> and as I saw most of you guessed, I don't have any more information than that. That's all I have. It came to me late in the piece from one of the Donnelly family, not you know, not Tracy's side, but the actual Donnelly side. And more or less the story is that they were all going out searching in those days after he went missing. And when everyone came back in after they'd done their thing, one of the in-laws said that apparently he thought he saw Jim crouching down, hiding in a bush. And of course I was like, whoa, whoa, hang on. This is crazy. Like, what is this? Like, is this real? And, um, and I was told to check with, you know, Clayton, uh, Jim's friend, if you remember from one of the episodes, you know, cause he was involved and I talked to Clayton and he was like, Whoa, no, I, I would remember that if that had happened, I'd remember it. Um, but what, but the person who said they remember this being said, they know that it was said. So what we've got here is I think a situation where the family, you know, it's possible it, it it was nothing, but I've tried to reach out to the family and they won't, they're just refusing to budge to talk to me at all about it. And they obviously didn't, if this sighting did happen, they're obviously, they didn't tell anyone else about it. They didn't tell the police. They didn't tell Jim's other family, Tracy, the friends, they kept it to themselves. Um, You know, and there's two possibilities for this. There's one that it is nothing. Or two, that they did see Jim, but for whatever reason, they maybe they didn't want to bring the weight of everything down on him at that time. I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. You've got all these people out there looking, and maybe you see him, and you think, shit, okay, I see him, but I don't know what to do. I'll just go back, and I'll talk to the family, and then we'll decide what we want to do. And um, yeah, I don't know. Of course, just speculating, but it's... Um, it's pretty huge in what it could really mean. And it obviously fits the theory of Jim going outside of the mill. Yeah. Um, I know this, this case, like just going through all these questions that you've asked and thanks again for all these questions. It's just so crazy. There's so many things and I'm, there's probably things that I haven't even covered here. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions and this, this is just, you know, 22 questions that I've picked out 
And thanks for all the other questions. I can't get to every one. I mean, I've been talking for over an hour now. I know for me personally, Q&A episodes are often my favorite thing to listen to after a podcast because you get to hear a bit more of the host talking more candidly. And oftentimes people ask really good questions, ones that, you know, like they say at school, um, if you've got that question, someone else probably has too. Um, but yeah, this case is going to be one of those ones that's just going to, you know, you're probably always going to wonder what happened. And unless that day ever comes that we find out what happened to Jim or he comes out of the woodwork, uh, you know, we may never know. Yeah, but I just say, um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. And, you know, send more questions in, send voice messages in. Thanks to everyone that did. But like I said, as I get sort of 20 questions come in, I'll just make a Q&A episode. If it's in the middle of a season, I'll just I'll put one out um, just, you know, for interest's sake. Um, yeah, so thank you all very much. I hope you have a fantastic day. And um, yeah, season three is not too far away. So thank you very much. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.